Good word. Well, it is a a good day. Today we have the worshipful privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper. It is a privilege. Y'all know that, right, church? It is a privilege for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. The Lord's Supper is symbolic in that it represents our role in Jesus' death and resurrection. It's symbolic in that it represents what we bring to the table. See, what we brought to the table when it came to Jesus and his offer of salvation, we brought to the table sin. God brought to the table his son. So when we recognize and celebrate the privilege we have in celebrating the Lord's Supper, what we get to do is is remember what God has done through his son for the forgiveness of our sins. You know, as Southern Baptists, we recognize two main ordinances in what we practice. We celebrate baptism and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it's pretty cool that we get to do both of these today. Uh, I was talking with Daryl upstairs earlier, and it's just kind of cool. We don't, we don't really see that a lot, that we get to do a baptism and a Lord's Supper on the same day. So it's pretty cool that we get to do both of these today. But the reason I'm saying symbolizes is because this, this is what it is. See, what we do when we talk about symbolism is that baptism is a symbol. Baptism symbolizes our new life in Christ. It symbolizes the beginning of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We understand that. When we come to the Lord's Supper, it too is a symbol. It symbolizes our part in the death and resurrection of Christ, but it symbolizes our continued fellowship with God the Father through the Son. So to recap, baptism symbolizes the beginning of our fellowship with God. The Lord's Supper celebrates the continuation of our fellowship with God. Do you all see the difference? It's like, you see the difference? Is he talking to us? Yeah, I want to make sure you're with me because all this is going to compound and play a role in this in order for us to understand what we're doing today. So we're talking about the symbolism. And the reason it's a symbol is because as Baptists, as Southern Baptists, what we believe is that the baptism and the Lord's, it's a symbol. It is not, our salvation is not dependent on baptism or the Lord's Supper. We practice these things out of reverence and out of obedience to God, but our salvation is found in one thing, and it's in Christ alone. See, when we study God's Word, we see that it's nothing that we earn the favor of God. It is the gift of grace and mercy given to us through Jesus that we enter into a relationship with God the Father. Got it? That is all we need is Jesus Christ, putting our faith in Christ. Now, how we respond in obedience is by making the world known that he is our Savior through baptism and how we symbolically continue that fellowship with God through the Lord's Supper. Think about it. When you go over to a dear friend's house, they say, psychologically speaking, the most intimate place in your house that you can be invited and welcomed into is their kitchen. Because that's where so much unique family fellowship takes place is the kitchen, the dining room. So uh, I remember, I think it was Andy Stanley years ago had like this, uh, this idea that are you front porch friends where you greet them at the door and you don't let them at your house? Are they living room friends that you just kind of come and talk to or are they kitchen friends? And when we talk about the Lord's Supper, sitting and dining at the Lord's table with him, it's that symbolism of growing in that continual fellowship we have with God the Father. 
But this ordinance, when we talk about the Lord's Supper, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is a symbol. It is symbol, symbolic of our continued relationship with God. But it brings with it the same question that gets asked quite repetitively amongst a denominational basis. Who should be allowed to participate in the Lord's Supper? One of our younger friends said, nobody. (laughs) To whoever you are, I assure you, you're pretty accurate. Because nobody, (laughs) I'm feeding the monster now. (laughs) To address your point, nobody should be allowed to participate in the Lord's Supper. But that's why it's a gift of God. It was his infinite grace and mercy that affords us a seat at the table, not because what we've done, not because what we haven't done. It's because of who God is through the awareness initiated by the Holy Spirit for our need for a relationship with God the Father. So he's kind of right. Nobody deserves a seat at the table. But through Jesus, we are given a seat at the table. So who, taking it one step further, who should, who should pull up to the Lord's Supper? Who should celebrate the Lord's Supper? Now, I, wanna, I just want to let you know. I just want to clarify something. As we dive in, as we go forward, I want us to use God's word to point to the qualifications for the Lord's Supper table. For those who are welcome at the Lord's Supper table. Hear me on this, okay? As we unpack these things, there may be somebody here that disagrees. And I am no way trying to isolate anyone or single anybody out or doing anything. We're just going to walk through this. And if you're struggling, if you object to what is said here this morning, I'm asking you to do two things. Number one, if you object to something that is said here today, first, I want you to pray and ask God about it. And the reason I say that is because not that I'm universally correct. I'm not. Uh, My wife's in the nursery or else she would amen that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that God's word speaks truth. And if there's something that we pull out of here that you disagree with, then I'm asking you to go and take it before God the Father in a conversation and ask him to show you the truth. A lot of times we deal with this thing called conviction, that when we hear the truth of God's word on occasion, it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uneasy. Why? Because it's not matching up with what we think, what we believe, how we live. So, well, the reason I would say that if there's something in what we talk about that you object with, I'm asking you to go to God, go to his word, and seek the truth. Because it might just be conviction is why it's uncomfortable for you. But in seeking out God's word, if you still feel justified in your objection, I beg you, please contact me. Email me. Call me. Stop by the office. Holler. Just let's have a conversation about it, okay? I'm not attacking anyone today. We're just going to let God's word speak and stand for itself as we desire to do every Sunday. Y'all with me? So let's move forward in this together and try to answer the question of who is welcome at the Lord's Supper table. I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is where we're going to be today. We're going to spend some time uh, unpacking this. And let me just kind of give you some background as you turn there. By the way, I'm just real real quick, uh, what's it called? Survey. While you're looking for scripture, is it okay if I keep talking or are you like looking and you don't hear a word I say? Keep talking? Covers up the pages turning noise? All right, we're just going to keep going. I've always wanted like, if I keep talking, are they even like listening to me? Or Anyway, so let's keep going. 
So you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Here's what's happening. 1 Corinthians was a letter written by Paul. Uh, we see in around Acts chapter 18, Paul writes a letter to the church at Corinth. Or actually, no, excuse me. In Acts chapter 18, we see Paul actually starting the church in Corinth. He gathers a group of believers there. Uh, a church is established. And upon establishing a church, Paul transitions and he continues on his missionary journeys to go continue planting churches. What we see later is after Paul arrives in a place called Ephesus, as he starts hearing rumblings that the church in Corinth is really doing some things that are not lining up with who God is in his character. They're not lining up with the testimony of Christ that he gave them in establishing the church. So what he does is he, he writes this letter, 1 Corinthians, to the church at Corinth to try to address the issues in which they're being disobedient. I mean, if you've got to think about this, Paul was all the way in Ephesus and was hearing about the disobedience of this church all the way in Ephesus. I don't have a map in front of me, but imagine Corinth here and Ephesus is across the Mediterranean here, which I guess in your place would be Corinth is here and then you go to the right and then there's Ephesus, you know, grammatically and to scale, right? Just go with it, all right? So here's, here's all about, all the way across the Mediterranean about the disobedience of the people in the church in Corinth. And he writes this letter. And in this specific section we're going to be looking at today in chapter 11, he addresses the Lord's Supper and how they are not practicing it according to what he taught them, according to God's desire for it. In verse 17, he actually says this, In this area, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Here's, here's the tragic thing about this Corinth church, this Corinthian church is when you study when we when we unpack the the letters to the corinthians we see all throughout scripture that this church man one of the things that just jumps out to you was their sin was their disunity and this church had issues it was a there were a power struggle they weren't submitting to the lord when it comes to this specific section he's addressing them because they're battling they're dealing with selfishness more than graciousness they're, they're using the Lord's Supper as a reason to get drunk, so they're celebrating drunkenness in the Lord's Supper. There's disunity that he's, and he's recognizing and calling out all of these things as he begins to address how they are mishandling the Lord's Supper, how he addresses who should be celebrating the Lord's Supper and who should not. For when the Corinthians gather, they gather for themselves. They're not gathering to worship. They're not gathering to bring uh, homage to the Father. They're not gathering to remember and celebrate Jesus. They're gathering for themselves, thus the selfishness that he's addressing here. And in dealing with this, he gives this warning against such practices. So in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, let's look in verse 27. Paul writes, he says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned 
with the world. I want to kind of unpack some of this text as we answer the question of who should celebrate at the Lord's table. Uh, I want us to start in this passage, beginning in verse 27. He uses that phrase, whoever eats the Whoever eats the bread drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. What is an unworthy manner? Kind of, we starts with this, whoever's doing this in an unworthy manner. What does that phrase mean? What does he mean by unworthy manner? Well, the, the Greek word that he uses here is pointing to participating in the Lord's Supper without preparation. An unworthy manner of coming to the Lord's table would be coming to the Lord's table without preparation. And specifically, the preparation he's talking about here is salvation. Now, here's the part where sometimes people get very upset about that I'm just going to be honest with you about. The Lord's Supper is a symbol of what? Continuation of our fellowship with God. Remember when we established that a moment ago? So understand this. To participate, to partake in the Lord's Supper starts with the believers in Jesus Christ. It's the body of believers who come to the Lord's table and celebrate the Lord's Supper. I mean, after all, when Jesus held the first Lord's Supper, he broke the bread and he said, this do in remembrance of me, right? So for those who are not in Christ, how can you remember somebody you've never known? How can you remember someone whom you've never met? So when we talk about you coming to the table in an unworthy manner, you're coming to the table unprepared, we start off by saying that the Lord's Supper is for anyone who has given their life to Christ. Those who have accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord, and that symbolize through the baptism, the beginning of our journey, the beginning of our fellowship with God the Father through Christ, that our Lord's Supper, when we come together, is a celebration of the continuation of our relationship with God. So here's what I mean by that. If you have never given your life to Christ... If you've never accepted the gift of salvation, if you've never accepted the offer of grace and mercy that comes from a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit made you aware of your need for a Savior to redeem you from the sins that you are guilty of, if you've never made that commitment that today when we partake in the Lord's Supper, I'm asking you to just let the elements pass by without taking something. And I know you're sitting there thinking, well, what's everyone going to think around me? Trust me. Hear me when I say this. It doesn't matter what people around you think. Matter of fact, there's a lot of people that have never given their life to Christ that look forward to things like the Lord's Supper. Because in their translation of that, I partake in the Lord's Supper. Why? Because it gets me closer to God. Hmm. I got some bad news for you. You can't draw close to a God you've never met. Actually, when we partake in the Lord's Supper and we haven't trusted Jesus, and we haven't given our lives to Christ, then it creates this false identity within us that, well, I'm a good person, I'm close to God. It's not. For those who aren't in Christ, participating in the Lord's Supper doesn't bring you closer to God. There's still a mountain separating you and the Father, and that mountain is your sin. So I'm asking you this question this morning. This not has to do with nothing about the Lord's Supper. My question to you is this. What's stopping you from trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He loves you. He's offering you forgiveness of every wrong thing you not just have ever done, but will ever do. Because it's already been paid for by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. An offer that's extended to you and every single 
person who has ever drawn breath on this planet, but it's up to you to accept the offer. So my question isn't, what's your deal with the Lord's Supper? My question to you is, what's stopping you from trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior today? Now, this has a trickle-down effect, and I want to take just a minute to talk to the parents in the room. And it's kind of fitting that our children are sitting with us today. Because parents, I need you, I want Westmead Baptist Church to be a church of Bible-believing parents. Parents that will not compromise the truth of the gospel, even when it's a difficult call to make in their own family. I'll never forget hearing a pastor speak, and uh, he actually preached a sermon against homosexuality and pointed how God's word declared it a sin. And afterwards, a lady came up to him, uh, and she was very much uh, disturbed by what he said, uh, by what God said, and he communicated. And she said, how would you feel if one of your kids was a homosexual? And he said, ma'am, it would break my heart, but my stance would not change. Parents, we must stand on the word of God regardless of how it makes those around us feel. And the reason I want to dive into this, parents, is because seated with you are your children. And I'm just going to put it out there. I'm telling you like it is. If your children have not made a public decision for Jesus, then in just a few minutes when those elements come by, I'm asking you to not give little junior or little juniorette the elements. And this is why. Their salvation should be of the utmost importance to you as a parent. More important than all A's, more important than starting on the team, more important than anything else should be your salvation of your children. And if it's that important to you, then you will be pursuing them with the gospel on a regular basis. They will know that if they have any questions about God, that they can come talk to you about it because you've already opened those doors of conversation. But here's the thing, church. When little junior is sitting next to you and the elements come by and be like, you know what, it's not going to hurt anything. I'm just going to give them a little bit of cracker and juice. You're right. It's not going to hurt anything physically. But it creates in them a false sense of understanding salvation. Because just like we just said that the Lord's Supper, the partaking in the Lord's Supper should be for those who have given their life to Christ. And then you as a parent turn the authority you wield in their life and you turn and you give them those elements. You're telling them, but you know what? You get a pass. You know what? You get in. Just, it's fine. And I'm not pointing fingers because I've been guilty of this, guys. I'm not sitting here like, oh, how dare you? No, I've been guilty of this. In the sense that later on down the road, it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with this crisis of faith. You know, I don't remember coming forward. I know I haven't been baptized, but I remember, you know, I always participate in the Lord's Supper, and that's just for the believers. And I can't go ask my parents about it because they're the ones that let me do it. Do y'all see the problem that it creates? Now, you might be sitting there thinking, but Justin, it's just going to be so awkward when they're passing the elements and my child is going to be reaching. I'm going to have to tell them no. Yes, tell them no. Because here's what's really cool. It opens the door after church today, over lunch or this afternoon, for you to have a conversation about the Lord's Supper, about the relationship you have with Jesus, and you have the opportunity to share the gospel with them over something very practical that they have a question about. Mom, Dad, how come, how come you didn't want me to have cup and juice today? Because that's how they see it. And like, well, it means something. It's just for the church. When the church gathers, it's for the body of believers. 
Well, I, I believe in God, yes, but let's talk about the gospel. And I know parents are sitting here thinking like, Justin, that's just ridiculous. It's just a cup and a cracker. You're right. It's just their eternal soul that I'm more concerned with than a cup and a cracker. Parents, if your child has not publicly given their life to Christ, and I'm not saying that they've been baptized. There have been people who have not been baptized that have given their life to Christ. Man, partake, dive in, all you can eat. What I'm saying is this, if you are of a child, if you have a child, if you're a parent of a child and you're not sure if they've ever trusted Christ as their savior, then just pass by. Don't create confusion. Don't muddy the waters with, but I thought I was saved. From my years in student ministry, I can't tell you how many conversations I had with teenagers that were confused as to whether or not their life was made new again in Jesus because of something that happened in their childhood that a parent didn't either know about or a parent didn't step up and biblically lead. So when we talk about this unworthy manner, when we're talking about proper preparation for the Lord's Supper table, parents, use today as an opportunity to once again, or maybe for the first time, communicate the gospel to your children by letting the elements pass them by because it's a symbol of the continuation of the relationship we have with God the Father through Jesus. It's prepared for those who have prepared room for Jesus. And that's how it should be treated, is in a worthy manner that we are prepared for in salvation. The next little part it talks about here is unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. When he uses the word guilty here, that's the same word used in Matthew chapter 26 when they declared judgment over Jesus and declared him guilty and crucified him. Let's talk about guilty of the body and the blood. What does that mean? Well, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, by the way, y'all know it's still a celebration. Some of y'all are looking real somber. I don't know if it was the kids thing or if I'm being all inclusive, but you know, I don't know what it is, but there's still a celebration. So try, try to have a little good time with me as we look at God's word. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we celebrate the elements of the broken body of Christ and the blood of Christ shed for us, then we need to recognize that we're celebrating the body and the blood. We're celebrating the sacrifice of Christ, Right? Yes, this is what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the forgiveness of our sins. We're celebrating the punishment that we deserve not brought about on us. This is what we celebrate. But when we come to the Lord's Supper table, even as believers, and we have a hard heart and we refuse to repent and we refuse to trust God and we refuse to come to the Lord and let go of our sin and trust him, then it says here that we are sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 29 continues this thought when it says this, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. What it's talking about here is as the believers come to the table, as the believers gather together to partake in the Lord's Supper together, then we have a responsibility to celebrate what Jesus has done. And how can we celebrate what Jesus has done through the forgiveness of sins when we ourselves know that we are guilty of living in sin? 
In just a minute, we're going to camp out on the phrase that says examine yourselves. And one of the things it talks about is letting God examine us from the inside out to show any impurities, any areas in our life that we're not trusting God, that we're not consistently living in his word. I'm not saying that we're all going to be perfect and that's the only way you can partake in the Lord's Supper. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if there is something going on in my life that I'm knowingly pursuing that does not honor and glorify the Lord, then I am making a mockery of the Lord's Supper table when I refuse to let go of that but celebrate what Jesus has done in forgiveness of our sins. But I'm holding on to those sins. You with me? When we talk about sinning against the the body and the blood, remembering the broken body of Christ, the shed blood of Christ, It was the price that was paid for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you hold on to your sins more tightly than we hold on to the sacrifice of Christ, we are not honoring the Lord and not partaking in the Lord's Supper the way it should be partaken. That's what was the problem in this Corinthian church that he addressed. You guys have turned the Lord's Supper into a celebration of your sin and your sinning against the body and the blood. You've forgotten what the Lord's Supper even means. When it's done properly we're remembering how the body and the blood empowered our lives to to obtain salvation through christ when it's done improperly we're holding on to our sin more than we're celebrating what jesus has done in forgiveness of it which leads us to the significance of the phrase in verse 28 examine yourselves you know one of the defining characteristics of the corinthian church was their sinfulness was their selfishness And how that sin within the church had caused disunity in the church. Remember, they were all about gathering for themselves, for their purposes, for their reason, for their agendas. And when they continued to do this, they forgot the beauty, the value of the Lord's Supper. And it just caused disunity within the church. He was reminding them that their sin forces a wedge between their relationship with God. And as long as they embrace their sin, they lose the beauty of the fellowship with God the Father. He's pointing them to these truths to make them aware of the big deal their sin is. Because the broken body of Christ, the blood that was shed on the cross, was for the church. It wasn't just for a bunch of individual believers. It was for the church. And the word says that one day, Jesus will come back for the church. Because he died for the church. Therefore, If there is disunity because of our sin and we're breaking up the fellowship that we have with God the Father, then we're also breaking up the fellowship we have as the church. Therefore, Paul is pointing to the urgency for them to examine themselves. Again, he's writing this letter from Ephesus, a Mediterranean ocean away, right? See, get it. He's writing that far away and he's writing, he says, examine yourselves for two reasons. Number one, Paul's not there. He's saying, examine yourselves because, hey, I'm not there to examine you. Paul was of the faith that if he was there and he was aware of a sin issue within the church that was taking place when a family or a person or a group of people, Paul would go right up to him and call him out and say, hey, this is not what God intended for you. This is not the purpose of uh, of fellowship with Christ because you're ruining that because of your sin. So it's time for you to kind of do some, take some steps to get that right with the God the Father. But because Paul's not there to examine them himself, he says you need to examine yourselves. But more importantly, what he's talking about here is he's saying submit yourselves to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit examine you to point out the areas that you're not glorifying God in your life. 
He's showing them things that their sin has cast a void between them and God and their fellowship together. In just a few minutes before we partake in the Lord's Supper, we're going to have a time to examine ourselves. Now, this is something we do a lot. This is something we've done for years, actually. But church, it is time for us, it is time for us as a body of believers that congregate at Westmead to start taking it more seriously. Otherwise, we, like Corinth, will be known as the church with disunity because we're not taking time to examine ourselves. And what that means is this. When we enter into this time of examining ourselves, it's going to be a time that maybe you just need to get alone with God. And I know you're in a room with like 500 other people, but what I'm saying is just kind of close your eyes and just kind of shut the world out for just a little and get alone with God and say, God, there are some things in my life that are not honoring to you. And confess those things, repent of those things, take those before God and present them for God and say, God, I know this doesn't honor you. God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me of these things, but give me the strength to move past them so that I can honor you in these areas of my life. But you know what? If we're talking about disunity, that might be when it comes to a time to examine ourselves. That might be a time, husband, where you need to turn to your, to your wife and it might be a time to ask for forgiveness. And that might be the petty little disagreement you had this morning when you were getting ready. But it might be that issue that you both know is there that nobody's willing to admit. When it's time to examine ourselves, if there's disunity, then dads, husbands, it's time to step up and lead your family. Wives, you're not exempt from this either. That if there's an issue that's separating you and your husband from having godly, Christ-like as a married couple, then it's time to address it. It's time to tap your spouse and say, will you forgive me? Forgive you for what? Here it is. Maybe you need to get up and go out of the room. Hey, you know what? Maybe you take your spouse by the hand and you come right down here to the altar and you say, I've brought you down here because I need to ask your forgiveness for something and I want us to pray about it before we partake in the Lord's Supper today. Maybe that's what your unity restored starts with is your spouse. There are children in here. There are students in here. And there might be one of them that has done something wrong one time. That was a joke. (laughs) Just laugh. I don't know what he said. Just laugh. (laughs) Students, if you have knowingly disobeyed your parents in a way that did not honor God then the unity you need to pursue is you need to go to your parent if they're in this room and ask forgiveness. But Justin, that means that I'm going to have to admit that they're right. Yeah, because that's called pride if you don't. And you're holding on to that more than you're holding on to what we've been forgiven of. Hey, parent, can we get a little uncomfortable? you might need to go find your child or your teenager and you might need to be the one to go to them and say, hey, I haven't been a parent that has pursued Christ's likeness in your life. I'm asking you to forgive me and I want to do better. 
When it's time to examine ourselves, if we as parents know that we have not been leading our families, we leading our children towards the gospel of Jesus, then maybe that's where we need to start and coming to the table prepared by coming and having those conversations that will make us uncomfortable, but will do an amazing God-sized work in your family's life. Maybe that's where you start. You know what? It might be bigger than that. It might be bigger than your family that you go home with today. There might be somebody in this room, you don't like them. You're mad at them. You're upset with them. For they've wronged you. Or maybe you've wronged them. And because of this problem that you have with somebody here, it's causing disunity in our church. If two people in this room have a problem with one another that inhibits their ability to glorify God together, and I'm not talking about sitting in the same room. I'm talking about to have fellowship with one another. If we are dealing with that, then we're dealing with disunity. And when we come to the time in a few minutes to say it's time for us to examine ourselves, will you let the glory of God be made real in your life? And get out of your pew and go to that person and say, I need you to forgive me. I need to forgive you. We get real uncomfortable when we start talking about stuff like this. Why? Because it's going to cost us something. Do you all know what we're about to celebrate? A broken body of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus, and you're worried about costing you something? Do you realize what it cost for you to pull up a seat at this table? I know it's a symbol. I know it's symbolic. I know it symbolizes the continuation of our fellowship with Christ. But does it mean something to you? Because if it does, we're going to do something about it, church. Otherwise, we're going to be like the church in Corinth that is known for its disunity because we refuse to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We're going to pull up and celebrate what he's done for us, but we're certainly not going to do anything in response about it. If this is you, and you refuse to let God be made to be glorified in your life through the forgiveness of others and asking forgiveness of others, which is kind of the whole deal, then I'm asking you to let the elements pass you by until you make those things right. And I'm not just making this up. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 through 17, one chapter before this says, Paul says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many, are one body. For we all share the one loaf. We're one body. How can we have disunity? Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, he says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go first and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. This is the biblical way that we practice unity in our church. It is greater than your pride. It is greater than your discomfort. And it's time for us as a church, before we come to the table, to practice what, God, what Paul writes to the church in Corinth of examining ourselves before 
we come to the table. That's what the table is celebrating. Forgiveness. And how much do we make it a mockery when we come to be forgiven, but we refuse to forgive others? The rest of this passage, the rest of this paragraph that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 11, just talks about that if we as the body of Christ did this whole examine ourselves and and holding ourselves to a higher standard more regularly, it says in verse 31, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, if we were more particular, if we were paid more attention to a regarding evaluation of ourselves, then we're being disciplined so that we're not condemned by the own judgment our sin casts against us. He talks about this idea that when we kind of amp up our part, of being more apt to practice this idea of examining ourselves, then the more commonly we do it, the more we embrace the discipline that comes from God of pointing out the areas in our life that we're refusing to trust him with. And then we get to the place where we rejoice. We rejoice not because we're holding on to our sin, but because we're holding on to our Savior. Not because we're holding on to what the sin and how it's determined our life for us, but we're holding on to how the power of Christ is shaping us to look more like him every day. This is the power of the symbolism of the Lord's Supper. It's for the believers. It's for the believers who are practicing unity with God and with the church. It's for the believers to pursue and celebrate a continued relationship with God the Father. And I know in doing this, there's a very real chance that you might have to let the elements pass you by today. If it is done in the right heart, I assure you, there is no greater worship we could bring to the Father today than being obedient until we get these things ironed out between us and God and us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. I had a conversation uh, not too long ago after we did the Lord's Supper. Somebody came to me and said, you know what, I didn't partake in the Lord's Supper. I'm a believer, but there were some things that I had to go iron out, and it was the most uncomfortable thing I ever did. I said, are you talking about letting the elements pass by or going to ironing those things out? He said, yes, but I rejoiced with him because he was obedient. Today, as we celebrate the privilege of the Lord's Supper, for all the believers in here, today can you celebrate with a clean heart? Or do we need to examine ourselves and to get some work done before we come to the table today? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads as we prepare to enter into a time of examining ourselves. I'm going to invite our men to come on down to prepare the Lord's Supper. But in this time, I want us to take time to examine ourselves. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to be a few moments of silence. You might hear some talking. You might hear some mumbling around you. Don't turn and look. It's none of your business. Celebrate the fact that there are people around you that are 
being, going about the process of letting God restore relationships. And if you're one of those people that one of those relationships needs restoration, then during this time, what is greater? The celebration of the forgiveness of sins in our life or holding on to our sin? Which one will you celebrate today? As we enter into a time of examining yourselves, I invite you to just take a few moments and let God show you how you need to be obedient to him before coming to the table. already been some people move I'm so thankful for the church when being obedient if you need to move if you need to have a conversation do so now don't wait it won't get easier just be obedient and trust what God wants to do